0: This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they've faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking with Tom Willis, the co-founder and chief marketing officer of LawPath, Australia's number one online legal platform. In today's episode, we discuss the importance of business having the right legal documentation and the strategies LawPath took in growing their business. You'll learn the importance of having a defined marketing and sales plan, how LawPath utilize a layering advertising strategy, and the importance of paid digital advertising and SEO for sustained growth. Let's jump in. Tom, thank you for taking the time out of your day and joining me today on the show.
1: Thanks, Sivan. Great to be here.
0: Now, I look forward to this chat. I love your software. We Don't use it at the moment, but I think after this episode, we're definitely going to go there. But before we dive into law path and what you've built, can you tell us a little about you and your journey that led you to where you are today?
1: Yeah, sure. So it was not the typical entrepreneurial journey that you hear of a lot of people where they were running different types of side hustle businesses while they were at school and Selling secondhand lunches to people from the canteen or whatever that might be, it didn't really take that type of path for me. I kind of stumbled into entrepreneurship quite late on. I was at university, I was doing an advertising degree in Sydney, and I was still trying to really kind of work out what I wanted to do. I was working a couple of different jobs, and then I came across a job through the university UTS, their job board, which was offering a marketing analyst role for a company which is called Spreets. And Spreets is a group buying e-commerce company. you probably similar heard of like the likes of your, your Groupons and your living socials and whatnot of the world. And so I applied for a job there, had a great chat with the founders, managed to get myself into that role where I was working casually while I was still at university and the business just exploded. So I was employee number five, when I joined was in August 2009, and by February 2010, the business had sold for $40 million to Yahoo 7. So wow, it was just this absolute rocket ship journey and learned a ton through that, got exposed to, to a lot of things and really smart, intelligent people in a business that was just absolutely taking off. And I think it probably, in a lot of respects... Gave me this little false reality that when you run a business, this is what always happens. You go really hard for a couple of months and then you get to a Reaper Award at the end and then you have a couple of massive parties to cap things off. But from there, went and worked in a a number of different roles. So stayed at Yahoo 7 for a while, then moved into a couple of other industries, spent a bit of time in the online gaming world, working for, for Tom Waterhouse. Then moved into working in the B2B space. So I spent a lot of time with companies such as Getty Images and iStock Photos. So in the real like the stock photography world. And through each of those, I was picking up a lot of different skills, working with some really clever people, and everyone had been doing things in a different way. Tom Waterhouse was obviously it was a family-run business. So I got to work really closely with, with Tom himself and their family and had developed a really great, it was kind of half startup, half family business. And there were a lot of great experiences to take out of there. And then moving into Getty Images, which was a much more global company, larger, you know, there were different layers of process and bureaucracy and organization. And there was a lot to learn out of that as well. And particularly in some of the things that they did around things like partnerships and whatnot. But kind of realized through doing that that Every time my role gave me a little bit of what I was wanting to do from, I suppose, like a marketing and a discipline perspective, but I'd always wanted to kind of go beyond what I was able to do within the role. So I'd find myself starting up my own blogs, creating my own online communities, buying businesses and trying different things out to try to continue to grow that skill set out. And so... I did that for a while, worked out that I was quite good in the digital marketing space and really found my calling there, started doing different workshops where I was teaching digital marketing. And when the opportunity came to be part of the founding team at LawPath, I jumped at that and, and I thought, well, this is a great opportunity to come with what is an idea that I think we can continue to start to really put some focus on, but then also build some fantastic digital marketing foundations and do it all from scratch. And so that's what we did. And the growth's really been there. It's been coming up to eight years now but we've gone through a lot of different ups and downs within the business, but the momentum that we've got right now is pretty fantastic. Look forward to kind of talking a little bit more about what we've got through and where we've arrived.
0: I think that leads me perfectly into the next question. Give us a rundown on LawPath. Yeah, sure.
1: In the high level of what we do at LawPath, the goal is to make law accessible to everyone. We see law as something that's really a democratic right for every individual, whether they're a business, whether they're a family, whether they're a person, they should have the right to access the justice that they deserve. And so that's the long-term goal of what we're trying to do. We understand that that's a pretty ambitious task and there's a lot of existing traditional systems that need to be disrupted for us to get there. So we've really wanted to focus down on small business owners here in Australia. That's been really where we've put in our focus, where we've thought. And I found this myself through running my own businesses. The different barriers that come up, whether that's costs, whether that's time, trying to get your business off the ground, you spend so much in the way of protection and compliance that it often then leaves you a little bit short on then the resources, the time and the money that you should really be allocating to growing your business. And so That's what we've really tried to solve at LawPath by using technology to allow businesses to start for a fraction of the cost, offer them the access to the legal services that they need through legal documentation and legal advice on demand, and make sure that they've got that protection there without compromising on really being able to grow their business at the same time.
0: It's such a good solution that you're going to SMEs for because as an accounting firm and an accountant that advises into the SMEs, what you find, we attract those high growth style clients and they might be in year two, three, four of their business life journey. And what we find is you do the interview, new client, and you ask them all these questions around, do you have employment agreements? Do you have a shareholders agreement? What are your T's and C's with your customers? And a lot of them, they're not done well because at startup phase two to three years ago, they either didn't have the money or the time to put into those things So they've done it off the back of a tissue paper on on handshakes, and then they get to a level where some of these things are difficult to do after the fact. So what you've built there in LawPath, allowing SMEs an easy access to documentation and doing things that in the right way is amazing. I know the SME market is looking for that, and I'm sure you guys have been successful in attracting the startup community as well.
1: Yeah, most certainly. It's really interesting as the journey had progressed. Initially, we had the, you know, the idea of what the addressable market was going to look like. And there's billions that goes into small law. I think it's around the $14 billion mark in terms of where that currently sits and where small enterprises are engaging with law firms on the smaller side of things. But the really interesting thing as we've gone through this journey is identifying, as you said, this whole area of businesses that aren't actually even accessing legal support just because quite simply they can't afford it or they don't know where to start and so we have looked at the name and trying to label this as something like tiny law where you've got kind of you've got big law you've got mid-tier law you've got small law but then you've got this idea of tiny law which is all these businesses in particular who they're the ones who are going out and just as you said they're not getting those employment contracts into place they're copying the terms and conditions that their competitor has on their side and changing over the business name. They're winging it in a lot of these respects. And the reason that they're winging it is because they're trying to save costs and there's all these different priorities that they have in their business. And they think, well, I can try to take a little bit of a risk here and hopefully something doesn't happen and I don't have somebody push back on anything or have issues with clients or employees or whatnot. But there are a lot of opportunity examples, sorry, of where that then has really come back to hurt the business and can really lead to the downfall of the business as well. So the way we look at it is if we can help these businesses that if not for a solution like Wallpath, they would just have nothing in place and they wouldn't look to put anything in place. They're really the businesses that we're going after. The 10 employees or less who want to be able to grow their business. They want to keep compliant, but they just haven't, quite had the resources to be able to do so and we believe that if we can get this right we can ultimately lead to more businesses being successful more businesses growing more people being employed it's a win-win for everyone
0: I love it and the question here is when you guys were planning out the business model for LawPath was the idea at all to disrupt the legal industry or were you more focused on an area that was under service to then be able to service into them Or you like hold on We can do this differently and really disrupt the space. So what was the conversations like in the early stages?
1: Yeah, so we've got a founding team of four, two from a legal background, two from not a legal background. And I'm one of the ones that doesn't come from that legal background. And I think in a lot of respects, that was really advantageous for us. I think if we were all lawyers, we just we wouldn't know any different. We wouldn't know how things can work because we hadn't had that same exposure to different systems to different industries and the ways that things could be done. So when we looked to start out, we had a couple of different products that we ran. Initially, the first thing that we were trying to do was basically our business model was focused on connecting up businesses with lawyers. And the model was where the lawyer would pay us and it was almost like a lead generation service. So they would pay us a subscription fee per month to access leads we would then use digital marketing tactics to attract businesses in and say, you can ask questions to these lawyers for free, have an initial consultation. And then if there's ongoing work from there, you two can have that arrangement. So it was worked as that kind of that matchmaker lead generation service. But it became really apparent as we started that. And I'm actually really glad that we started on that as the first way that we went. We just had open text fields and we were learning very, very quickly that people were after a lot more in the way of documentation so that then became a really big focus for us is making sure that we could get to a point where we could automate a lot of the business contracts that businesses were going to need that were typically the ones that were kept in the vaults and the filing cabinets of lawyers and if there was a way that we could simplify them while still keeping them you know in their integrity very high and making sure that then they were accessible to businesses so That was another path that we went down. And then the other piece was eventually we found that the model with requesting the business to get that free question and the subscription, the better way of potentially doing that was moving more into the way that a lot of businesses are familiar with now, which is the marketplace model. And that's where we moved to where the businesses that were coming through and requesting to have legal support by shifting to a marketplace model, you got rid of a lot of the people who were just after free advice, time wasters and whatnot these people then said part of it was asking what their budget was and what their expectations were around that. And then the lawyers were much happier too because they were dealing with a better caliber of clients. So there are a couple of different shifts that we made along the way to try to move this through. We took a lot of influence from overseas, a lot of businesses in the US in the UK and a lot of the Western world that have started to make that shift of taking the legal systems that exist in their country and then being able to make them more accessible through the use of technology. So there were lots of learnings that came there and we felt like we arrived on a really good combination of legal services that were going to help any business no matter what stage they ended up in.
0: And you've kind of touched on a little bit here with technology and the documentation vault, but how does LawPath able to deliver its service at a much lower price than traditional legal firms? Because of all the service providers out there, the lawyers are the most expensive. So have you been able to cut the cost and actually deliver it to the SME market?
1: Absolutely. So we found that there's a couple of things that have really allowed us to do that. One is that we've found that there's really a sliding scale that once you get to a certain level of usage and of people who are using you, that the efficiencies that then you can bring in start to improve and improve. And so... You know, I think with anything, and I'm sure you've talked about this previously on the podcast with guests, is the idea of a Pareto principle, an 80-20 rule, that there's 80% of your business is going to come from 20% of your effort or your stock or your products or services or whatnot. And I think it's been very similar for us. We've identified that while there's a great array of different legal services that a business might need, there's a couple of core consistent ones that come up time and time again. So if we're able to hone in on making them accessible for a business, then it puts us in a really good spot. So that's been something we've been able to focus on, being able to then improve the efficiencies that are coming into there over time. And the other piece is, is really looking at the areas where the technology can eliminate the need for further handholding and further work needed from a service level as well. So A lot of the work that has been spent done on actually completing legal contracts in a lot of respects is actually getting somebody to fill out the different templates that are available and the admin of going back and forth with those details. So by changing that so that the business owner is the one who's actually then completing that initial level of information into the documents, it means that it cuts out a lot of the time that a lawyer will need with a client, but it's actually a lot of the time that a lawyer wouldn't really want to be spending with the client anyway. It's the admin side of it. It's the very kind of low value and not great return work as well. So by being able to allow businesses to do that, it means that the power comes back into their hands. They're able to create those documents, get them to a level where they're at something which is, it's going to be useful for them if they're a standard type of business and it's going to be something that they can use. If they're a business that's got different types, if they maybe got quite a unique business model and they've got a different set of circumstances unique to them. It then allows them to say, hey, I've got a base level document that I've completed. I'm going to now go and speak to a lawyer on LawPath. I've done a fair bit of the heavy lifting through the software. Now the lawyer can just add on those extra pieces, check over the clauses, make any revisions that are necessary to suit my specific business model. So by allowing the software to take out a lot of those repetitive tasks it means that the business is able to save in the long run. And, and you know, it just becomes a game of numbers. And the more businesses that are coming along, the more you're learning about how things are going to work, the more you can optimize this in a way that's going to suit.
0: Can you maybe tell our audience and listeners sort of roughly the costs? Because obviously the part of the service offering is documentation, the heavy lifting is done by the business owner, maybe filling out some forms. And then there's a component where a lawyer does come into the play, depending mm-hmm. on what the circumstances are. Can you give us a bit of an idea on how you charge and how does it work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if you're after legal advice, there's two paths that you can go to on my path. Great word to use there. (laughs) So you can go down actually the path of, as I mentioned before, the marketplace where you can actually put in a request to a lawyer and say, I'm looking to get a contract reviewed or I'm looking to get something set up. The lawyers will then, we have a network of over a thousand lawyers across Australia. They will come back and say, this is how much I will charge for this. It's all done on a fixed price. So you know exactly what that's going to cost and what that scope of work looks like. The lawyer might want to have a conversation with you leading up to that. So you can arrange to have a phone call. You can message them within our application to be able to get that sorted out. And that's really effective if you've just got a one-off job that might happen. Where we see, and then one of the biggest growth areas in our business is we've started over the last two years offering a legal advice on demand subscription product. And so the legal advice on demand subscription, we call it the legal advice plan. It allows a business to be able to access unlimited 30-minute consultations with lawyers from our network. And so that means that whenever you have something that comes up, you can pick up the phone, you can arrange to book in a consultation. Usually you can get that within 24 hours and speak to a lawyer about your matter and they can advise you what the next steps are that you need to take. So typically you can see lawyers charging in excess of $600 an hour typically for service. So this service that we have through the legal advice plan, you can get unlimited access to those 30-minute consultations for just $1440 for the year so really really competitive in how we're able to offer that and that really just means that it becomes in a lot of respects for these businesses I'd like to think a bit of a no brainer where they know they've got that security blanket of if anything is to happen within my business I've got a lawyer who's just a phone call away to be able to support me and talk me through what what my options are
0: and does that mean the phone call is also to a specialized lawyer so if I've got a question about a property matter I'll generally get someone that specializes in maybe property law versus an employment query and it's an employment law. Is that what happens?
1: Yeah, that's exactly and, right. Well, how so, was that?
0: Because sometimes someone has a relationship with a generalist, but doesn't have all the elements of it. So this actually is, for 1440, it's a, it is a no-brainer, I would have thought. And actually, the getting the right lawyer for the right question is probably the added value there, which is amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Something that, as I've gone further down, all of what we've done with LawPath. It's something that I've really noticed a lot of is what you mentioned is that idea that, yeah, there's not a one lawyer that is going to be suitable for everything that you're going to have in your business. You know, If you're looking for support on intellectual property, it's best to find a lawyer that's going to suit you there, whether you're looking for things around, whether that's franchising or property, as you mentioned, you really need to find a lawyer that's going to be able to assist you in their area of expertise. And so I think in a lot of respects, we probably have to change that thought process on lawyers for a lot of businesses and the layman to a degree as well, it's very similar to how you would with doctors. You can have a bit of a generalist doctor who might be a bit of a GP and jack of all trades and be able to help with a range of different areas. But a lot of the time, what you're really going to need is a specialist. You're going to need somebody who's going to be able to, whether that's a dentist or a physiotherapist or an anesthetist, or you need to find somebody who's going to be able to specialize in, in that area. And I think it's very, very similar for the law and a lot of the time businesses don't realize how easy it now is to access being able to speak to those lawyers in those set areas. So we try to make it as transparent as possible for them. We offer, you know, these are the areas of law that they have expertise in. This is their reviews. This is the feedback that they've received recently. So you've got a really good idea of what's the best path for you to take.
0: Yeah. And as a chief marketing officer, how do you articulate to your audience that they should use LawPath over engaging a lawyer direct? I mean, Obviously, costs. We discussed that a little bit, but why would they use law path other than going direct? Yeah,
1: it's a good question. I initially thought that cost was going to be the be all and end all of this, and we could just say, "Look, how much that you could save on different areas." And I think that works when you're offering a very much to like service. But when you're you're trying to, in a lot of respects, create a new category, you've got technology that the market isn't particularly used to. You really have to consider that there's not that same level of trust that somebody is going to have. And so what that means is that a lot of people, especially in the early days of LawPath, they'd say, well, the cost is good. It looks like it's very affordable, but I'd actually rather just go and speak to a lawyer because I know they're going to hold my hand through it. They're going to talk me through that. And that's what everyone else has been doing. So that's the way that I'm going to go with this. So it really took for us quite a big, mindset shift. And what we really needed to do in a lot of respects was get people to just have access to the products and services that we had, particularly the legal documents and seeing how easy it was to create those. So we spent a lot of time building out our acquisition engines, making sure that we were covering any type of legal document that we serviced, that if somebody was chucking that into a Google search, that they were coming across articles we'd written about the documents, actual specific product pages about the documents and using that as a way of then being able to say, try us out. We offered freemium model. We still offer a freemium model where you can create your first legal document for free as a way of trying it out and seeing if it's going to be something that's right for you. And that was fantastic for us because we could get people to try us out. We'd say, let's get your feedback. What did you think about the experience? They'd leave us a review. they talk about how easy and simple it was to be able to get access to the documents that they needed. And then over time, that just became, you know, in a lot of respects, a, a bit of a self-fulfilling flywheel. So the more documents we had, the more customers and users that they were bringing on, the more feedback that then we were collecting. And that allowed us to reach more and more people as well. So it definitely took a little bit of time to get that going. And one other thing I'll just mention as well was that I think we made a really good decision early on to focus on the startup industry as where we wanted to go after because we knew that if we could get a lot of awareness in the startup industry, while they might not be in a lot of respects, the safe option, you know, they're businesses with high exit rates. A lot of them are pre-revenue. We knew that they'd be early adopters of the technology. So I spent my time in the early days as we were building up our digital foundations, we were going out to different co-working spaces, conducting events, putting together different channel partners in that space as a way of being able to get people to actually try out our different products. And we were really fortunate that they, were a lot easier to get over the line because they were wanting to try out these new and exciting technologies. But the interesting thing, is, I talked about price, the new businesses, they don't have that idea of expectation as well. So a lot of them thought, oh, $300 for a year to get access to legal documents, that seems really expensive. And then you had the alternative, which was people who were saying, I've just spent $10,000 getting my shareholders agreement sorted. I wish I'd found out about you about three, four months ago. So... (laughs) it all came down to, yeah, that level of expectation. But I think because we had that kind of two prongs of building those foundations in one area and then getting those startups to adopt us and try us out, I think over time, we were able to build more and more of that trust. And then once we got to a point where we were in lockdowns, COVID-19 happened, that was where we saw, in a lot of respects, a really big shift in that consumer behavior as well.
0: Yeah. And you kind of touched on it a little bit, but it is a very technology-driven Business and service offering. And I would imagine that a lot of your clients, I'm assuming, are the younger entrepreneurs that are comfortable with technology. Is that a fair comment to say?
1: We have found that a lot of where we invest our product and user experience time is really making sure that we have an accessible product that anybody can use. We've seen, interestingly enough, over the last 12 months, we've actually seen a really big jump in businesses being started by entrepreneurs of 60 or older, yeah. which has been a really interesting thing to do. I know we've got a couple of clients in their 90s. We've got quite a big mix. But typically, I would say that we lean towards yeah the younger generation of businesses that are using us. About 40% of the businesses that are using LawPath, it's their first time running a business as well. In the early days, it was very much more like 80% of the businesses, but that's definitely shifted over time as more people come in and out of running their own businesses and starting new things as well. But yeah, I would say overall, it tends to shift a little bit to the younger side.
0: And have you been surprised at all by what would you consider young these days that are going to jump on Google, do everything online and be very focused on tech? I mean, currently the age profile, where does it shift towards where technology scares some of these consumers?
1: That's a really good question. Yeah, I'd say probably around the kind of 50 to 60 age kind of ranges is where where well, they... we would see that. It's probably not fair to cast dispersions on a whole age range of individuals because everybody comes at things from a different level and proficiency there as well. I think what we found is that a lot of the businesses that still need a little bit of assistance or need a little bit of education, typically the ones where they've been in a one business for a long period of time, that might be you know a decade or more and then they've gone out to start a new business, and they've got a lot of preconceived notions of how things should be done in the early stages. Well, what we find is when it's somebody who's starting a business for the first time, or they've run multiple businesses in a relatively short period of time, they're much more across how things can be run and doing this online as well. So I think a lot of that comes into not just age, but kind of age business. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Now, I couldn't do a podcast with you, Tom, without jumping into some marketing and you giving a little bit of your marketing side of it. Now, LawPath's been super successful and grown really quickly. Can you tell our listeners the growth journey that the LawPath has gone through and you as the Chief Marketing Officer, the techniques that you've adopted with your marketing team to get this business to grow so quickly?
1: I've been thinking a lot about this kind of looking back retrospectively at what we did and what we were really happy with what we did. And I think one of the things that I look back on very fondly is that when we were starting out, we would pick set areas that we really wanted to try to succeed in. We were very, very laser focused on what we were looking at. And so for me to begin with, I came from quite a strong search marketing background. I knew that we had a lot of legal documents that we were automating and had access to. So... I felt that the best way for things to kick off off the ground was trying to match the legal documents with what people were searching for. And so, you know, we put a lot of work into building up our paid search foundations and that was really successful. We were able to, you know, improve a lot of things there. Once we got that to a point where we were happy with how that was going, the natural progression was then to say, well, if people are finding out about us through us putting ads in front of what they're searching for what can we do to make things better from an organic search perspective? What can we do from an SEO perspective to then say, how can we get that same amount of clicks and also get them for free? So we can have a listing on the paid side of things. And then when somebody's searching for, let's just say, it's a privacy policy document that we have, also then being able to find this from an organic free perspective as well. So a lot of work was then invested into that side of things we built up those foundations where we had all of our documents covered to a certain degree from a paid and an organic perspective. And at that point, it's quite a difficult thing to then think of progressing into other tactics because SEO is one of those real long-term games, right? So we'd invested a lot into what we thought was improving our fundamentals across our website, and particularly our on-page SEO, but we knew it was going to take us a bit of a while to see anything. And then the next piece that I wanted to go and I said, well, we've got all of the different documents that we've got covered, I think that there's a certain area that we haven't really addressed. And I don't think anyone to a degree has addressed particularly well, which was when people didn't quite know what they were looking for from a legal perspective. So there was the whole idea of somebody saying, yep, I know I need an employment contract. But then there was a step back, which was people saying, what do I need to do to hire an employee? So we found that there were all of these different areas across all the different documents that we had, the businesses that we're trying to service, and we created a great deal of content covering all of those different areas as well. So we're now at a point where our blog has over 3,500 different posts on it covering all of those, you know, almost like pre marketing funnel type of pieces. And... It was in a lot of respects. It's, it's this whole idea of layering, and, and the way I've landed on how to explain this best is it's almost in a lot of respects like a cake, right? So you've mm. got the types of layers of your cake that you're wanting to put together, and there your evergreen, always on pieces that are going to bring you in a relatively predictable and sustainable amount of traffic, users, and business. So if you can continue to build those layers on top of each other, things then start to compound, and then. If at different times, you try a few little things on top of that, so almost like the candles of the cake, whether that's trying like a bit of brand activation, trying a bit of PR, trying to do something a little bit outside of your existing foundations, you might find that you get some really good success there. And then at some point, that might become something that you want to lay up as well. So it was really building that up over time. So we would be building these foundations in parallel, we'd be trying a couple of these candles on the cake experiment so to speak so we were doing different bits and pieces around news jacking we had a great bit of success in putting ourselves into the media in different ways for free and getting some great success there we also did things like we'd run viral campaigns on online sites and forums such as boz where we put up a great deal and get a lot of people to jump onto that so we tried a bunch of these different types of tactics and then really tried to work out what stuck and continue to build up those fundamentals. And I think that's put us in this really fantastic position where if you were to, in a lot of respects, cut off the head of the business, remove our marketing budgets, take everything away, we've still got such a great content and inbound engine that we'd still be able to bring a really strong stream of business. So in a lot of respects, to get there, was focusing on each of these different layers and then being able to build them up over time. So I think in a lot of respects, it's not different to what a small business should be doing as well. I see a lot of small businesses, they don't put all of their eggs into one basket. They, they spread <laughs> themselves very thin.
0: Yeah, they, I agree they, with that.
1: Yeah, they do a little bit of paid search. They want to be on TikTok because they think it's cool. Then they want to be on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. And they find themselves just trying to keep up with doing things for the sake of doing things. And I, and I think that you know in a lot of respects, it's really just stripping things down and going back to basics
0: just taking the punt and spending money on the marketing and doing it. I find that uh, some of the business owners, they just expect to grow their business just merely on referrals or just having the A board outside or a good signage or whatever it is and think that it happens. But I think the ones that are really good actually go out and invest time and money in growing it and be relentless in not giving up. As an accountant, I see many great businesses that have awesome products or services but they do fail to grow the business or they don't reach their potential what do you reckon are the common reasons for this i mean we mentioned a little bit about jumping and doing it what advice would you give them where business owners have this an idea or a great product they're just not getting their potential is it a marketing thing and, and what advice would you give them that you've been successful in many businesses yeah. and startups what would you say to those guys one
1: of the things i can hone in on from my own experiences with LawPath was that we found ourselves in a similar position a couple of years back where we were building a number of different products in parallel. And focus was a really difficult thing for us to look at because we thought one of these areas might take off and then we'll invest some more time and resources into there, whether that's the marketplace side of things, whether that's the on-demand legal advice, whether that's the legal documents side of things. And what I really found as one of the greatest things I think that we did in the business was just really being able to put a lot of focus onto things. And so making sure that each of those areas that we had, most importantly, a target. The target was the most important thing. And I know that sounds so simple, but actually just saying, I am wanting to hit this amount of sales, subscriptions, revenue, and I don't compromise on this. I work backwards from this work out the tactics that allow me to actually be able to get there. But this isn't something that I'm just doing because my business coach told me to do it or I know it's something that I should be doing. I hit this target. I never fail to hit this target. And I can tell you in the last 3 years, months and months, I can maybe name 1 or 2 times where we failed to hit an individual month's target. And every time we missed it, it absolutely broke our hearts. I know you shouldn't take things too personally, but at the same time... <laughs> We really found that as a way of just being able to simplify things and say, there's a target that we're all after. Let's go after it. Let's measure it. Let's measure every type of output that we have for getting there. So if you're running a few different marketing tactics, what are you measuring against? What are you expecting? If you want to spend $500 on a marketing budget, what do you think is going to be? What is a good, consistent and achievable cost per each of the leads? And once you work out how much a lead is going to cost you, how many of those leads are then going to convert? What's that conversion worth to you? How much does that business end up paying? And you can then really work backwards and say, yeah, I've actually put in a decent strategy to actually be able to achieve my target. Because what I see a lot of the businesses do is they say, I want to go out and grow. I'm going to invest a little bit of marketing budget. I don't know how much Mm. I'm going to invest. I don't know what I should be expecting, but gee, I'm really disappointed we didn't get to where we wanted to at the end of the month. And so in a lot of respects, it's having that focus to be able to measure and then not just on that high level of the revenue target, but then be able to work backwards into each of the different marketing tactics that you are putting in as well. So that would be one piece I would lean on. The other thing that I see a lot of businesses do, and I know some of your past guests have referred to this as well, Savan, is from a perspective of trying to be all things to all people yeah. is where I see a lot of businesses really struggle to get ascendancy they get one business say you know it'd be really nice if you could do xyz for me it's a bit of qualitative feedback that they get they then go out and they work on building a product or solving that one solution they've got quantitatively a lot of businesses in a completely other industry who aren't getting service maybe because they're not as their wheels aren't as squeaky or whatnot as well so i think in a lot of respects you want to align your marketing your product strategy to really being able to say What are those ideal buyers for me? And if you can start with a few of those, really be able to hone in on those. I talked before that you know for us, startups was a really big one that we went after. And then we branched out into things like digital marketing agencies, into IT consultants. We were very, very specific with the industries that we were going to go after, the publications that they would read, the type of content that they were after, the documentation that they would need. And as we are able to go through each of those, we could then look to extend out that reach where we were continually trying on those. And once you've done that a few times, you can build upon some of the foundations so that you're not having to do everything from scratch. But I think it's really important if you are struggling and you're saying, oh, I just want everyone to be my customer, <laughs> to really be able to fine tune that down and be able to say, I'm looking for gym owners The gyms are going to be at a 2 million turnover mark and less and they're going to have 10 to 20 employees, whatever that might look like. You've got to set out ideally who you're going to go after, tactics to get you there. And I think overlaying that again with the measurement side of things, they're two things that any business can do. Very, very simple, but very effective.
0: I totally agree with that. I have a saying, it's not my saying, I think I've read it or heard it somewhere. And in the marketing terms, it's that going inch wide, mile deep as opposed to mile wide and inch deep. And and someone told me that, and I'm like, that makes so much sense because when you try to be everything to everyone, you just can only go an inch deep into that. Whereas if you've become that, like you said, laser focus, pick an industry, go inch wide, they actually say that the smaller the inch is, like a millimeter wide and a trillion miles deep really gets you there. And or the other analogy is, is, When a fisherman goes out to fish, he doesn't just randomly put bait on a hook and just cast it out. He knows what fish he's hunting for, which bait bites, when they bite, at what time, in what location, and he catches that fish. And and I guess you've just articulated that in a much better way than I have.
1: There's one that gets talked a lot about in B2B SaaS, software as a service, where they talk about nets and spears and the difference between nets and spears, where... The net is, your in a lot of respects, the demand generation, you're doing your paid search or your, your Facebook ads and whatnot. You're throwing the net out and anything that's coming back, you're collecting it and you say, we take it all. And the sphere is then saying, I know what I want to go after now. I'm going to hone in on that and I'm going to put more efforts into targeting those who I know are of good value to me. So lots of different analogies, but it's it. all coming yeah. at that same moral, yeah.
0: And look, my last question is technology is developing so fast and obviously digital marketing is going to look probably different in 10 years from now, but you being in this space and looking at it day-to-day, what do you see coming in the future and what should businesses be looking for and adopting and keeping their eye out in the digital marketing space?
1: There's a lot of talk about there being a big shift away from third-party data data that's being owned by others and not having access to the data that these advertising systems once gave you access to. So you're talking your Facebooks and your Googles and YouTubes to a degree where the data that they're leveraging has typically been third-party data that means it's been bought from other sources and it hasn't come from you as that original source. And I think that is something that as like a larger moral of what's going on in this space is something to continue to be mindful of. The changes that uh, operating systems like Apple have now made where they've said, if you are wanting to consent to your data being used, it's now going to become an opt-in where you're going to need to opt-in versus it being an opt-out where you'd have to say, I don't want access to this anymore. The changes that that's making is meaning that our ability to leverage the data that has been purchased on different individuals in a lot of respects, just look at being able to use that data for behavior manipulation it's going, it's dwindling. It's not the way that it once was. And Google is later this year going to be removing that that use of the third-party cookies as well through their Chrome browser. And so there's going to be a lot of these changes around actually being able to access that type of data. And what that means is that you can't be that very hyper-targeted, big brothery kind mm. of over-the-top minority report style of business where you're saying, are you a business owner in I'm not sure, are you a business owner in Surrey Hills that has 10 employees? We know this is for you because 10 other people like you have done this before. Yeah, and like yeah, yeah. using that where it's not particularly creative, it's just saying we know there's people leveraging the data that we have like you that are then going to need something in a similar way. So that is changing and it's moving to a point where two things are coming from that. One is that creativity is really coming back to the forefront. You've got to be very, very clever. You've got to think about how you can reach a wider audience without those hedged bets that you once had, where you're able to say, I know who you are, so you're going to like this. It's now saying, I need to think of something through, again, the lens of my customer. Think about what is going to appeal to them, how I can pique their interest. And I'm not going to have that same level of data that I once had to be able to know if they're gonna like this or not. I'm gonna actually have to do something creative and unique. So I think there's gonna be a big shift back into a lot of creativity, a lot of more focus on brands that we haven't seen over the last few years. And the other part that I think is really important that from more of a data perspective is owning your first party data and what you can actually do with the data that you're collecting on customers. And I think you know one of the great examples of that is what you do with email, right? So Email, I look at as a tactic for businesses that is just completely underutilized and, and particularly small businesses. They've got these great customer bases where they've served a couple of hundred customers who have gone on their books, had a great experience. And then they'll speak to me and they say, Hey, Tom, I'm, I'm looking to do a bit of marketing for my business. Should I invest in AdWords? Should I invest in Facebook ads? What's going to be the best thing for me to do? And I'm saying, Well, have you got an email database? Have you actually got some people to contact? They more often than not do in some way. So then actually then being able to contact them and what you'll find, and this statistic gets branded around a lot in digital marketing is that it costs between four to 10 times more to acquire a customer than it does to keep an existing one. So really, really important thing to remember is that don't just focus on trying to bring in new customers over time. What are you doing to keep the ones that you've got? What are you going to do to retain them, to reach out to them and keep front of mind with them? And I guarantee you if you're a business that hasn't reached out to your client base, And then you go out and send them an email or do an SMS campaign, or you might do like a follow-up phone call campaign. You are going to see results. Unless your service completely sucks, (laughs) you are going to see results.
0: I agree with that. So
1: that is something that you should be leveraging in that same respect. What is the data that you have access to on customers that then is going to be able to allow you to reconnect with them and show to them again how fantastic a service you can offer?
0: That is brilliant advice. I'm inspired by that. I think Look, we're very lucky. We've got an awesome marketing manager here at the firm and We do our best to communicate with our existing clients. And accounting is lucky enough to be able to be a touch point, but you've definitely, even then, have inspired me with that speech. That is on par. Tom, <laughs> unfortunately, I've run out of time. I can talk about marketing with you for a while, and the Law Path stuff with what you're doing there is amazing. So I want to thank you so much for being on the episode today. I wish you and the Law Path team all the best for the future. And thank you for your time.
1: Great.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Sivan. Thank you. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing, and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savantuna and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.